Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 1st edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that makers of generic drugs already approved by the FDA cannot be held liable under state law for claims of design defects. The decision tossed out a $21 million jury verdict in favor of a New Hampshire woman who suffered horrible skin burning over most of her body and was nearly blinded after taking a pill to relieve shoulder pain. The court majority said the FDA had approved this drug for sale and that federal approval trumps states' consumer protection laws. Karen Bartlett, the woman who suffered the severe reaction, sued Mutual Pharmaceuticals. Bartlett took Solendac, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, at the direction of her doctor, and she had a rare but severe reaction. The skin on nearly two-thirds of her body burned away. She spent more than two months in the burn unit of a Boston hospital, and she was left with permanent injuries. Bartlett's lawyers argued that Solendac was more likely than other similar pain relievers to cause the severe reaction that Bartlett suffered, known as toxic epidermal necrolysis. And a jury decided the pain pill was unreasonably dangerous, awarding Bartlett $21 million in damages. The company appealed, arguing that the verdict conflicted with federal law. Justice Samuel Alito wrote for the court majority and admitted that Bartlett's situation is tragic and evokes deep sympathy. But a straightforward application of preemption law requires that the judgment in her favor be reversed. Chief Justice John Roberts Jr. and Justices Antonin Scalia, Anthony Kennedy, and Clarence Thomas agreed. Dissent, uh, dissenting Justice Sonia Sotomayor said that the court has left a seriously injured consumer without any remedy despite Congress's explicit efforts to preserve state common law liability. The ruling creates an oddity in the law. The Supreme Court said in 2009 that people who are hurt by a brand name drug can sue the drug maker for damages. But now the same is not true for those who take a generic drug. About 80% of prescriptions written in this country are for generic drugs. The WCAB ruled that a lien claimant need only file one activation fee in a case with multiple applications. Here's what happened in the case of Hinks versus Pavlo Weinberg and Associates. Aliyah Hinks claimed that she sustained industrial injury to her head, back, shoulder, lower extremities, and multiple body parts as a result of a specific traumatic injury and a continuous trauma. Two applications were filed accordingly. Lien claimant MH Express Pharmacy filed a lien in the specific injury case only in 2004. The specific injury case was then dismissed without prejudice in 2006. The pharmacy claims it was never notified of the dismissal. The pharmacy paid the lien activation fee in the dismissed specific injury case in 2013, six days prior to the lien conference. The WCJ issued an order dismissing the lien claim for failure to pay lien activation fees in the CT case with prejudice. The pharmacy filed a petition for reconsideration of that order. The WCAB granted reconsideration and ruled that only one activation fee was required where liens are filed in one or more cases involving the same injured worker by the same lien claimant. Only one lien activation fee is required. The order dismissing the lien claim was rescinded and the case was returned to the trial level for further proceedings. The Court of Appeal revived 
a dismissed lien claim in the infamous premier medical management cases. Here's some background leading up to this decision. In 2002, SEGA initiated a proceeding against Premier Medical Management Systems Incorporated in which it alleged that Premier engaged in billing fraud, fee splitting, and the unauthorized practice of medicine. At some point, two of Premier's executives, David Wayne Fish and Bridger Greg Bassino, as well as Premier itself, were criminally charged with filing false and fraudulent claims, filing false tax returns, and unlawfully receiving compensation for the referral of clients. Fish and Bassino entered into a plea bargain in 2010 and agreed to dismiss lien claims filed by the premier providers that were listed a 2006 letter provided by the law firm of Riley and Reiner. Champion Medical Group, doing business as Universal Psychiatric Medical Center Incorporated, was one of many lien claimants represented by Premier Medical Management Systems Incorporated. Universal assigned some of its liens to Premier for purposes of collection. As part of a plea bargain, Premier dismissed the lien claims of 109 entities, Universal's included. The WCJ upheld the dismissal of Universal's claim over its objections, and the WCAB denied Universal's petition for reconsideration without issuing an opinion of its own. Universal claims that it was not a Premier provider, that Universal only hired Premier to perform billing and collection services and had no authority to dismiss its liens. In response, the WCJ gave 10 reasons why Premier had the power to dismiss liens of the Premier providers, including the Universal lien with prejudice. The Court of Appeal, in the unpublished opinion of Universal Psychiatric Medical Center Incorporated versus the WCAB, ruled that, as it turns out, none of these reasons apply to Universal. The Court of Appeal went on to say that the WCJ ignored the facts that were unique to Universal's case. In fact, there is evidence that Universal cannot be included in the class of premier providers. The case was remanded to the WCAB with directions to vacate the dismissal of Universal's liens and to conduct such further proceedings as are consistent with this opinion. And now, our fraud report. The state fund filed a RICO action in the United States District Court against a number of entities related to Pacific Hospital of Long Beach. The complaint alleges that these defendants participated in a scheme to defraud the state fund for medical services, spinal implant hardware, medications, and other services. The complaint goes on to specifically allege that these entities formed and operated shell corporations and represented that these corporations were manufacturers of spinal hardware when they did not. The fund further alleges that these entities billed for services at substantially higher rates than are allowed under the official medical fee schedule by upcoding and unbundling items in their billings. The complaint alleges that they billed at rates of up to 10 times the average rate for over-the-counter medications and that they billed for nurses as assisting surgeons. State Compensation Insurance Fund claims that these acts constitute a violation of the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. The fund alleges it has paid Pacific Hospital at least $141 million for the services purportedly rendered by Pacific Hospital. In a sixth cause of action, the fund seeks to rescind settlement agreements to resolve liens filed with the WCAB with the defendants that resolved lien claims as far back as 2004. The fund alleges that state funds' consent to enter into these settlement agreements was obtained by fraud. 
the U.S. Attorney for the Central District of California has been investigating allegations that the Pacific Hospital of Long Beach executive paid kickbacks. Last April, Federal Bureau of Investigation agents raided the hospital as part of what the agency termed fraud investigation. The Court of Appeal sustained the terms of probation imposed on a worker who was convicted after a jury trial. A 45-year-old Stephan Eugene Harder was found guilty of five counts of workers' compensation fraud after a January 2012 jury trial. The case stemmed from a February 2009 complaint from the State Compensation Insurance Fund alleging Harder was attempting to exaggerate his industrial injury and claiming that it was more severe than it actually was. An investigation reportedly revealed Harder engaging in activities such as gold mining that was inconsistent with his claimed injuries. The trial court suspended imposition of sentence and placed him on five years of probation. At the sentencing hearing, the trial court gave the probation order to Harder to sign. Harder signed the probation order immediately under a line that read, I hereby certify that I understand the terms and conditions of my probation as set forth in this order. Harder appealed, claiming various errors with respect to the fees, fines, and costs the trial court imposed in granting him probation. The Court of Appeal in the unpublished decision of People v. Harder found these claims of error forfeited for failure to raise them in the trial court level. Otherwise, the Court of Appeal found no error. And in regulatory news, the, WC, the DWC Administrative Director ordered that the durable medical equipment, prosthetics, orthotics, supplies portion of the official medical fee schedule be adjusted to conform to changes to the Medicare payment system that were adopted by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services for calendar year 2013. Effective for services rendered on or after July 1, 2013, the maximum reasonable fees for durable medical equipment, prosthetics, orthotics, supplies shall not exceed 120% of the Medicare fee schedule revised for July 2013. The update includes all changes identified in CR 8325. The revision is available on the internet at the website of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And in medical news, a new study published in the Annals of Surgery say that people who have more than a couple of alcoholic drinks every day tend to have more complications after surgery than teetotalers or light drinkers. This finding might be somewhat UR or IMR physicians might want to consider when asked to authorize surgery. Or this might be the basis of an argument for apportionment of permanent disability based upon causation in a case where a heavy drinker has a bad surgical outcome. The analysis confirms that alcohol and surgery are a bad combination, but it's not clear what effects stopping drinking before surgery would have on complications. Infections and slow wound healing were the most common complications associated with heavy drinking. The authors examined the results of 55 studies on pre-op drinking and post-op complications occurring up to 30 days after surgery. The studies looked at head and neck, abdominal and orthopedic surgeries for a variety of conditions, none of which was related to alcohol use. Patients who drank heavily leading up to surgery, including those who abused alcohol or were dependent on it, were more than twice as likely to die in the month after their procedures than abstainers. Heavy drinkers were also 73% more likely to contract a post-op infection 
80% more likely to have difficulty breathing and 29% more likely to be admitted to the intensive care unit than non-drinkers. Heavy alcohol use over time compromises the immune system, which makes the body more susceptible to infections. Moreover, high alcohol consumption increases the endocrine stress response to surgery, which may worsen existing conditions and reduces blood coagulation, giving an increased risk of bleeding and slowing down wound healing processes. University researchers from, have investigated recovery from back pain and the problems faced by sufferers when they attempt to return to work. The latest phase of research has broken new ground by focusing on the influence of the family or significant others. The project interviewed both chronic back pain sufferers who have managed to remain at work and those who have been unable to return. Family members were also interviewed widening understanding of these issues surrounding recovery from back pain and return to work. The research discovered marked differences between the two groups. Those who, were man who managed to stay at work had greater flexibility in their jobs, more professional occupations with more autonomy. This type of work appeared to be very important. It seemed to help them manage their back pain condition and they also had more support from their employers. The researchers found that the family members of those who managed to stay at work were much more independent of each other. They were supportive but seemed quite separate whereas the families of back pain sufferers that weren't working were very involved in each other's lives. The study draws attention to the role that social factors play in back pain and how families, physicians, and employers can play a supportive role in enabling sufferers to return to work. And in financial news, a new Fitch rating report claims that underwriting results for the U.S. workers' compensation market is set to improve over the remainder of 2013, reversing several years of bad performance. Workers' compensation is the largest segment of all U.S. commercial lines, representing 18% of property casualty industry commercial lines' net written premiums. And workers' compensation has been the worst performing major commercial line segment for some time. However, the 2012 industry aggregate segment combined ratio improved to 110% from 117% in the prior year. Fitch projects a 105% combined ratio in 2013. Following a long period of declining premium rates, workers' compensation pricing has increased for two consecutive years with little sign that pricing trends will reverse in the near term. The Council of Insurance Agents Market Survey indicates that workers' compensation rate hikes are accelerating with a nearly 10% increase in first quarter 2013. And in other news, the State Compensation Insurance Fund selected Dr. Dinesh Govindaro as its new Chief Medical Officer. As Chief Medical Officer, Govindaro will represent State Fund as an advocate for California injured workers and a driver of change in regulatory and medical forums. His duties are to provide critical oversight of the organization's medical provider network, work with State Fund's claim medical division to develop policies, procedures, and enhanced programs that drive high-quality care for injured workers and work collaboratively with state funds utilization review organizations to optimize processes. Tom Rowe, President and CEO of the State Compensation Insurance Fund, said that the state fund is fortunate 
to have Dr. Govindaro come on board and bring his unique and seasoned perspective to head medical operations. Prior to this appointment, Dr. Govindaro served as VP and medical director at Concentra and as medical consultant to various organizations, including NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory and Toyota. Dr. Govindaro earned a Bachelor of Science degree in genetics from UC Berkeley, a medical degree from Hahnemann University School of Medicine in Philadelphia, and a Master's in Public Health degree from UCLA. He is a board certified, he's board certified in occupational and environmental medicine. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check out our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd Skarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.